Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. All right, tonight, the, the purpose of, of us spending time thinking about different attributes of Jesus and, and uh, is really, as I prayed, that we might have broader and deeper thoughts about our Savior. It's so easy to get uh, superficial about the glory of Jesus Christ. And yet, when you stop and just for a moment think about just exactly who He is and what He's done, then we will have an eternity to spend in meditation and never come to the end of it end of those meditations. They will not end, right? We will be able to investigate and enjoy His glory forever. And yet, it's hard now, right? Because we are are short-sighted. We are uh, affected by our sinful flesh, right? Our, our minds struggle, uh, to be set on the things above, we have to work to do uh, such things. But that's the hope in these things that maybe there's a new aspect of Jesus that you haven't even thought about. We we uh, come to in these evening services, or if you have um, applying it in a different way. So tonight, I want to talk about the session of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. Session of Jesus to the right hand of the Father after Jesus died and rose from the dead and spent those 40 days with the apostles, he ascended into heaven. And Scripture says, says this point blank in Mark sixteen nineteen. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Several questions come to mind. Right? What's the first question that comes to mind? Where is heaven? Okay, you can answer that one. <laughs> it's where God is enthroned. It's where the Lord is. And His special presence dwells in heaven. That's all I can say. Uh, I can't give you a GPS coordinate. Uh, Someday, someday it will be here. What did Jesus say to the Father at that point? Oh, what did he say? Okay, well, yeah. Um, we do get some of that in Luke 24. Um, the first part of Acts, right? We do, we do find out some of the things that he spoke to the disciples in those days, he breathed the Spirit upon the apostles. Those wonderful scenes at the end of, of John. That's not the question I have. Okay. It's a good one, too. Not so much, my question is not so much, does God have a right hand, but what is significant about the right hand? Now, Scripture is always describing God with anthropomorphic language, right? 
It's using human attributes so that we have some context within which to understand it. But that doesn't mean that God has a right hand. It doesn't mean that He has feet. It doesn't mean that he, he, God is a spirit. God the Father is a spirit, right? So He doesn't have a right hand, but we, we need to be able to conceive of these things, and all we know is the corporeal. So it's, it's described in these matters. Calvin would say this is God lisping to us so that we might understand something about God. Coming down to our level. But yeah, my, my question is, what is significant about the right hand? All this language about Jesus ascending, all of it is he went to the right hand of the Father. Why not the left? Right. Yeah, the right hand is an honored side. We'll get to that and just how deep that that honor is in a minute. But it is a privileged side. It is a powerful side. It's an authoritative side. The right hand is... There's no higher honor than, that somebody can bestow than to seat you to their right hand. Luke twenty two sixty nine says, But from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. That's what he says when he's on trial. Right? He says of himself that he will be seated to the right hand of the power of God. Acts 2, 33, this is during Peter's explanation of Pentecost. It says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So Jesus goes and he's seated to the right hand and who comes? The Holy Spirit. Is there any relationship between Jesus departing and the Holy Spirit coming? Absolutely. One wouldn't happen without the other. That's how significant the departure of Jesus was. At least that's what he said about it. Thomas's, um, not Thomas's death, um, uh, Acts seven fifty-five. Stephen, Stephen. He says, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. Remember when, when Stephen is being, he's testified, a convicting sermon. The, those deacons could really preach. And, uh, and Stephen preached. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Stephen is gazing into heaven, seeing this vision, and what he sees is this session of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. What a glorious vision. Romans 8.34, Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And that is part of the function of Jesus' session, is to intercede for his people. Colossians 3.1, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then, of course, the, the one that perhaps is filled with the most theological significance and is a fulfillment of, of, 
of Jesus' work is Psalm 110.1. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Right? God, the Father speaking to the Son, sit at my right hand. Um, this is mentioned in Hebrews 1.3, Hebrews 1.13, Hebrews 8.1, Hebrews 10.12, and then Hebrews 12.2, it says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 1 Peter 3.22, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. So, I mean, this is all over the place, isn't it? But it's not something we ever think about or talk about or, you know, Jesus' session. You know, we never hear that. That still sounds awkward. What's his session? What, what's the deal? What does that mean? But, it, but um, you know, I just gave you at least 10 verses here where it's mentioned and it's mentioned often in those verses that's listing the work of God. Died, rose, right? Seated to the right hand of the Father. This is a significant thing that Jesus is doing and is doing now. He is seated to the right hand of his Father. Now you notice that some of those said that he's standing. Some say he's seated. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Okay, I haven't thought about it. He's to the right hand. The significant thing is he's to the right hand. Um, to stand or to sit, uh, seated to the right hand shows some, uh, I would say, some settled authority. Whereas standing shows maybe more power and action in that. But posture, those postures, um, I don't know what to make of that. But there is that difference in these. So... Um, so the seating of Jesus to the right hand of the Father is known as his session. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way. The office the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake, which that he might discharge. He, has made under the law, he was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it. He endured most grievous torments immediately in his soul and, was, and most painful sufferings in his body. Right, this is his humiliation. We already talked about this. Was crucified and died, was buried and remained under the power of death, yet saw no corruption. On the third day, he rose, again, he rose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered, with which also he ascended into heaven and there sits at the right hand of the Father, doing what? Making intercession and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world. Westminster Larger Catechism, what was the estate of Christ's exaltation? And one of, the, one of the parts of his exaltation was the session to the right hand. The state of Christ's exaltation comprehends his resurrection, ascension, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and his coming again to judge the world. And then Westminster Larger Catechism 54, how is Christ exalted in his sitting at the right hand of God? And now we're getting into some of the more specifics. How is Christ exalted? What is it about being at the right hand of the Father that's significant? And they answer it this way, Christ is exalted in his sitting at the right hand of the Father in that as the God-man, he is advanced to the highest favor with God the Father. There's no higher place to be. There's no more honor that one can receive than that. God is not just powerful, he's omnipotent power. 
And he and Jesus there is seated to the right hand of omnipotent power. And so it says in that as the God-man, he is advanced to the highest favor with God the Father. Notice it says as the God-man, he's advanced to that. What did Jesus take to the right hand of the Father? His body. His human body. He took. And so does that dignify the position of humanity? Uh, remarkably so. Unbelievably. I mean, almost unfathomably. It's hard to even comprehend what that means. So in that, as the God-man, he has advanced to the highest favor with God the Father with all fullness of joy, glory, and power over all things in heaven and earth. So, in that position as to the right hand of the Father, he enjoys what? All authority. He is, this is, we use that phrasing of our right-hand man, right? That's somebody we give all our authority to. We just, we stop worrying about it and lay it out to the one that we've given our, delegated our authority to. But there is Jesus with all the fullness of joy, glory, and power over all things in heaven and on earth. And does gather and defend his church and subdue their enemies. He furnishes his ministers and people with gifts and graces and makes intercession for them. So that's all a part of Jesus' session. He's defending his church. Right? He's seated to the, the, the power hand of God. And he is seated there watching and defending his church. Always protecting them. Right? And he's always, he's always making intercession for them too. In other words, I take that to mean that he's always reminding Jesus of his sacrifice. He's showing his father the wounds on his body. He's interceding. He's saying to the father, I have sacrificed for my people. And yes, um, interceding in the sense of showing concern and care for them. Again, so what is significant about the right hand of the Father? Why not the left? Um, Unless you're a crazy left-handed person. Right? But no, that is significant. That is significant. The, The right hand was was the, the hand of action. Generally speaking, people are doing the, the, their finer tasks, writing, uh, with their dominant hand. And the dominant hand is, generally speaking, the right hand. Okay, and so, so, to, so for Jesus to be to the right hand is to be in the position of action. You're absolutely right. One, so a couple, five things here. What's significant about the right hand? As the Westminster Larger Catechism said, it is the place of highest favor with God the Father. We could go to Philippians 2, 9, where it says, For this reason also God highly exalted and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of the Father is Jesus receiving that name that is above every name. There's not a higher position. There's not 
an office that takes precedence to which he must submit. Also, it signifies the position of strength. We could go to Exodus 15. Exodus 15, verse 16, or 6. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Right? And part of that right hand being the hand of action would be it's the, the hand you pick up the sword with to wield in battle. So it signified the hand of power. It also signifies the position of authority. Luke 20, verses 42 and 43. Luke 20, 42 to 43. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Right? He has all authority. And that is by virtue of his position to the right. It also signifies blessing. What, what did the, the patriarchs do when they wanted to bless their children? Put their right hand on the child they wanted to bless. Right? The right hand went out. So like Genesis 48 with... Uh, um, Genesis forty-eight fourteen. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand. Did I say right hand? Left. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands. Although Manasseh was the firstborn, so he puts his hand on the his right hand on the child with which he wanted to bestow the greatest blessing. Again, that is what the Father is doing in seating Jesus to his right hand, is bestowing upon him the greatest favor, the greatest blessing. And then, um, let's see, where is it? Romans 8. 34, Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And right there, it connects the intercession of Jesus to being at the right hand of God. And so there's something about that position that allows Jesus to have the ear of the Father. Right? It's the position of authority. It's the position of trust and blessing. It's all those things in one. And so it allows Jesus to have the ear of his father. So honor, authority, strength, or power, blessing, and access. All those things just by virtue of being raised into this, to the right hand of the father. Burkhoff said this, It was undoubtedly an indication of the fact that the mediator received the reins of government over the church and over the universe and is made to share in the corresponding glory. Do you remember what Jesus said to the apostles about his departure and where that's at? Corey? What? What's that? No, I'm not thinking Matthew 20. I don't have the reference here, so I'm hoping somebody stumbles upon it. 
Exactly. Yeah. Fourteen, sixteen. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him, because He abides with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live. You will also live. And that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Um, where is it? I'm sorry, I should have written it down. Keep reading. These things, uh, 25, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. And 16.5, yeah, pick up there. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. Here's the statement. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin. And then he goes through all those things, right? So Jesus says, I have to go to my Father. And if I don't go to the Father, the Holy Spirit will not come. That's pretty intense, isn't it? That's pretty intense, and it's something that we easily forget. Jesus went to the Father, and he had to do so so that the Spirit could come and continue the work that he had to do here. God is working through his Holy Spirit. Now, here's the question. Where is Jesus now? It's not such an easy question to answer. What? In your heart. No, that would be the Holy Spirit. Right? Jesus is everywhere but through a means. Not immediately. God-man is seated to the right hand of the Father physically in space. Yes. The Holy Spirit is sent, and we know God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We, We apprehend Jesus in the Lord's table because of the ministry of the Spirit by faith. Right, We understand who Jesus is by the Spirit working in the Word. Right, The Holy Spirit, I mean, this is one thing where we, we seem to diminish the role of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, after Jesus went and ascended 
and was seated to the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit kicks into action in a sense. I mean, I know it's hard to... The Spirit has always been working, right? I mean, even from Genesis chapter 1, we see the Spirit working. But, but in Acts, we see the pouring out of the Spirit, okay? And Jesus has gone to be seated to the right hand of the Father. Now, you think I'm crazy now because I just said Jesus has a body and that body limits him in space. And I believe it. The Lutherans don't. Now, why wouldn't the Lutherans believe that? Because of their doctrine of the Lord's table. Right? Jesus is corporeally in, with, under, around, and through the bread. Right? Obviously, Catholics believe it too because they believe that the body and the, the uh, bread and the wine uh, turn into the body and blood. But the Lutherans do too, and this was controversial between the Reformed and the Lutheran camps. Lutherans put forward the doctrine of ubiquity, which means that the physical body of Jesus can be everywhere. The Reformed said, uh-uh, Jesus is seated to the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit now ministers. And when we partake of the Lord's table, yes, there is a real presence of Jesus, but it's through the mediation of the Spirit by faith, lifting us up into the presence of Jesus who is seated to the right hand of the Father. And you're like, what difference does any of that make? And you yawn, Right? body of Christ can be everywhere, the Lutherans say, the doctrine of ubiquity, because they have made their Christology correspond to their sacrament. Calvin says this, how weak and fragile that hope would be if this very flesh of ours had not been truly raised in Christ and had not entered the kingdom of heaven. But it is the true nature of a body to be contained in space. To have its own dimensions and its own shape. Away then with this stupid fiction which fastens both men's minds in Christ to bread. But as we have proved by firm and clear testimonies of Scripture, Christ's body was circumscribed by the measure of a human body. Again, by his ascension into heaven, he made it plain that it is not in all places, but when it passes into one, it leaves the previous one. And so, again, we begin to think about these things, and perhaps these are new thoughts, to think about the fact that Jesus is the God-man, that he, he has a body, that it is a true body, it's not a seeming body. It's not a third thing. It's a true human body. And, you know, when we talked about impeccability, remember the the whole topic of impeccability, the temptation there was to deny the divinity of Christ and create some sort of divide or denial between, you know, those two things, the, the divinity and the humanity. Well, the temptation here is to deny the humanity and create some sort of divide in... Jesus. He was a man, and so we assume he must have been able to sin, and yet after we looked at that, it seems clear that that's not the case. 
And in this, and in this we say he is God, he must be able to be everywhere. But he is the God-man, two natures, one person. And think of the significance now of Jesus' words in, in John 16. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. He goes away. He is there preparing a place for us. He is there in body, right? And he has sent his spirit. And that's not, and this is the thing. We're like, dude, that's such a bummer. That's like, you know, we, we got, uh, we got the, the VW instead of the BMW. I want the Beamer. It's like, no, this is the Holy Spirit, almighty God. This is the Holy Spirit, a spirit who can be everywhere, right? And it's good. Oh, there's the reference and, and the whole quote of the verse right there, okay? Got ahead of myself, or behind myself, or something. What difference does this make? What are the applications we can draw out of this, this doctrine? Christ's session to the right hand of the Father now. I'm not talking about the doctrine of ubiquity. I add that just to say that there's controversy over this topic, but, but, but it's important that we affirm that Jesus rose in that body with which he died, that same body, the confession says, and that body is now seated to the right hand of the Father, confined somehow, don't ask me for the details, confined as bodies are confined in space. All right, so, but thinking about the session of Jesus to the right hand, that position of honor, the position of power, the position of intercession, what sort of applications do we make out of this? What encouragement do you find in this? I have a few, but I want to pick your brains first. It's our hope. Yeah. I mean, in some sense, we could take this, this idea of the session of, of Jesus. We could, we could think through all the offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. And in the session, they're sort of all fulfilled on a grand scale. So, yes, he is our priest. He, he, the priest that was, his, was the sacrifice as well and now stands there making intercession. Are seated there, making intercession for his people, perpetually, continually, all the time, without ceasing, not slumbering or sleeping. Yeah, that's so. So, what does that bring us? That brings us confidence, right? That should bring us confidence. Why so beaten down? Jesus is seated to the right hand of the Father. I mean, Jesus died; he rose again; he's seated to the right hand of the the Father. Give thanks. Lift up your heads. Do not be intimidated by unbelievers. They don't have Jesus advocating for them. They don't have Jesus, so to speak, whispering in the Father's ear on their behalf. Your vindication will one day come. What else? What other encouragement from the session would you take? 
gives us patience. An actual human body has ascended, right? It speaks more to the ascension than the session, but... But... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that, look at, look at Jesus' course, right? After humiliation comes exaltation. After the, the, most, the most degrading humiliation, becoming sin, knowing the shame of sin on the cross, knowing the rejection of the Father, the wrath of God being poured out of Him, that's complete humiliation. Humiliation on a level that no man will ever experience. Jesus experienced him. From that comes his exaltation farther up than, I mean, the, the top, right? The right hand of the Father. So after humiliation comes his session at the right hand. So trust that the same course is for believers, right? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in the proper time, he will exalt you. Right? He will exalt you. You will be lifted up. The humiliation may be now, but you will be lifted up. You will be resurrected into glory. And you will there forever enjoy. But, that, but this just the whole trajectory of Jesus in this. The cross first and then his session. The cross first, then his session. That's our life. Suffering first and then exaltation. Yes, yeah, exactly. He will come having, having been seated in that seat of authority. Still occupying it, right? He comes again with the sword coming from his mouth to, to lay waste the nations. And so that puts man, it puts government, it puts systems and politicians and powers that be in their place, right? Jesus is seated to the right hand of omnipotent power. He has more than tricks to manipulate an electorate. Right? He has more than a million followers on his tweet, Twitter account. Are you seated to the right hand of the Father? I'm serious. These are the things that, that give power. If you have a million followers on Twitter, you have power. You have voice. Well, Jesus is seated to the right hand of the Father. 
I mean, it just puts everything else in just a, its absurd littleness. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They did see him. So, I'm I'm sorry. I'm still not getting. What? Flesh it out for me. I'm just not following. That's right. Right. Okay, there we go. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that is part of his intercession. That's part of his, that's part of the, the absolute astonishment of this body. One, that he took on, but two, that is ascended into heaven to be there with the Lord. And we will forever be with him. As well. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Sorry, I'm just... I have no idea, Mary. You always ask me about Enoch and Elijah. I don't have the answer. <laughs> I just don't know. I yeah. Well. Who knows, you know, maybe the Lord put their bodies in the ground and took their spirits up to be with him. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. All we, all we get is general statements and vague statements. We don't know about the process that happened in that. We know that they went up. So what does that mean? I'm not sure. But, but I knew you'd be thinking about that. <laughs> I love it. All right, and I don't know. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe of your son. We love him. We thank you that he is even now interceding for us, your church, that he has in mind always his bride. And that he is purifying hurts and, and that at the end of the ages there will be this glorious consummation in the wedding feast of the Lamb. And Lord, we praise you. We thank you that we have such a glorious Savior. And that he being raised up and seated to your Father is untouchable. Father, and he, he, he is our King He is our priest. He is our prophet. And so, Father, I pray that our minds and our hearts would uh, long, long for the time where we are at rest in His presence forever. And that in the meantime, we would walk worthily and we would meditate on His glories. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.